This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'm beginning a brand new sermon series today, and I want to tell you from the very start that a lot of my sermons I try to incorporate a little humor in what uh, we are talking about. Last Sunday, we had a fun day. It was a great day. And I will tell you this. I had so many people that I knew sitting out here that were going through difficult circumstances. And uh, for the few moments that we had together last Sunday, I saw you smiling and laughing and had a great time. And that warmed my spirit because I knew just for the moment you were able to take your mind off of some things that were pressing really hard on you. And that did my spirit wonderful to see the word of God go forth in such a way like that to where you were encouraged and you were lifted up and you just had a great time. But I want to tell you in the beginning of this particular series that there's not much room for that type of a an atmosphere or flavor or fragrance to what we're talking about. What I'm going to be talking about for the next five or six Sundays, I believe probably is the most essential, important, necessary doctrine in the entire Bible. It is most serious, and I pray today that you would not be listening for the thunder or the laughter, but that you would allow the Holy Spirit to teach you something. I, there's a big difference in preaching and teaching. And I had a young preacher to tell me the other day, he said, Brother Tony, I'm having a real hard time with that. I'm having a hard time separating my preaching from the teaching and vice versa. And I, I, my instructions were to him, you just keep at it and you, the, the Lord will give it to you. But a lot of times preachers can't divide the, the preaching from the teaching, I, I realize that's hard for some folks to do. But this morning, this is going to be one of those teaching type of series. And I think probably the best place for us to start is in the beginning. And so I hope that you will stick with me now. You'll have to listen. You'll have to pay attention but it's one of the most important, necessary, and I feel in my heart and my spirit, the most important doctrine in all the, the Word of God. The series is entitled, It's Still the Blood. And, and I will tell you, I was telling my wife early this morning, I said, Have, do you remember, you recall every time we preach on a subject like this, how the devil fights in vehement ways? And he does. And uh, he started early this morning, I think throughout the series, uh, he'll be trying to disrupt us or distract us or something that will take us from this subject because he knows as well as I know how important and how valuable it is. And so throughout the series, you pray that God will give me health and strength, that God will keep me on task and keep me focused because this is very important and I want you to be able to get it. If you get the biblical truths in this early portion of the series, 
I believe the rest of it, as we connect the dots together, it will be very, very easy for you to do. But you've got to get today. You've got to get it in your heart. You've got to get it in your mind to know what we're talking about. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 4. If you have a bulletin, you're already there. And uh, this morning I'm speaking on the importance of the blood. We stand and sing songs like, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The choir just sang a few minutes ago, The blood will never lose its power. Most of us in here today, I believe, are familiar with the term, The blood of Jesus. You've heard that. We talk about how the Lord Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And so I believe there are certain phrases and terms that most everybody is somewhat familiar with, but I don't know that everybody really understands the importance of it, the significance of it. And so that's what we're preaching on today, the importance of the blood. And so I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 8. Really, I have 1 through 7 on your bulletin, but I'm going to go in to verse number 8 as well. And I want you to follow along with me today. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but... Unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? In other words, what the Lord was saying, if you had brought the right offering, If you had worshipped me correctly, he said you would have been accepted. And if thou doest not well, if you did not worship me correctly, if you did not bring the correct offering, he said then sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In verse 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And so I pray that you'll stay with me today for this most important series on the importance of the blood. It's still the blood. The first thing that I want you to notice today as we talk about this subject is the conflict in the first family. I want you to be familiar with it. I want you to see how this originated because without question, this is one of the most, I believe, familiar stories in all of the Word of God. Most of us have heard bits and portions 
about this all of our lives. And so the primary focus in this particular story is about two brothers who made separate professions, two offerings, and a tragic death. Now let me give you a little background here. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. God had required that he would be worshipped and that in this particular season that these two brothers were to bring him a specific offering. Now, as we have just read in the scripture, you know God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And because of that, Cain became extremely bitter. He became extremely angry with God. Now, there might be somebody here today that there's something that has happened in your life. In years of yesterday, and maybe you're dealing with it right now, something terrible has happened in your life where you felt like God should have intervened. God should have prevented those things from happening. And you found yourself mad or angry at God. I pray that is not the case this morning because there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Let me tell you this. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he is the last person on the earth in the universe that you want to have a grievance with. Cain not only had these ill feelings toward God, but he also had these feelings towards his brother. And this is where the downward spiral began to take place. Without question, listen carefully, Adam and Eve must have been terribly troubled by the fact that there was intense friction in this family. I'm sure most of us in here today know quite well the pain of family conflict. Have you ever had conflict in your family? And I'm talking about something that has just ripped you, riddled you, something that has just devastated you, something that's gone on in the family that's just created intensity of anguish and turmoil. I'm sure most of us here today know quite well the pain of family conflict. Many children around the world know the heartache of going to bed every single night with their tiny hands over their little ears, listening to their mother and father screaming at one another. There's no doubt children go to bed every single night, conflicts going on with them and their parents and between parents and children. But I think one of the biggest heartaches of parenthood is to see their children envious and jealous over one another. That will break a parent's heart to see them fighting among themselves and hatefully divided. And I see that in these scriptures right here. Painfully to watch it is. And sometimes it carries over even into the adult years of their life. No parent can take pleasure in that. But that's exactly what was happening in the household of Adam and Eve. The burning rage that Cain had for his brother had finally reached a tipping point. 
It had gone beyond the element of shunning. It had gone beyond doing things out of spite. Cain's mind was beyond repair of this whole thing. God accepted my brother's offering, but he rejected mine. Cain decided that because of this happening, that a confrontation was necessary. And so the two of them somehow came together in a field to talk about it. I do not know who initiated that. The scripture doesn't say that Cain lured Abel into a field. The word doesn't say that. The word says the two of them got together and they came together in the field. But with that situation already at a very dangerous, jealous level, the conversation in the field did not help matters at all. I want you to notice what happened in Genesis 4, verse 7, once again. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now that we have been refreshed in this family tragedy, number one, I want to move quickly on to point number two today. Look at this, and if you have your bulletin, follow along with me. Now, why did all of this happen? One of the key points of understanding this horrible event is to know the facts that surrounded this episode. That's exactly what this thing is all about. Listen carefully. We are taught that God is to be worshiped. And the scripture teaches us that he is to be worshipped correctly. This is what created the rift between God and Cain and Cain and Abel. The significant thing about knowing that God is to be worshipped is this. And this is where I want you to focus your attention this morning. And listen very carefully. Because some of you may not know that there is a right way to worship God and there is a wrong way to do it. The reason that God rejected the offering of Cain is because he came to God incorrectly. The reason he came and gave favor on Abel's offering was because Abel had worshiped correctly. Now somebody might say this morning, well, pastor, what difference does it make how we worship God as long as we do it. Well, it makes a big difference. It's significant. In fact, the answer to that question is found in the New Testament in John chapter 4, verse number 24. Hold your place here because we're going to come back, but I want you to look at this scripture. They get it on the screen quick for you. Look at this very carefully. The Bible says God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the Bible is saying that if we're not worshiping him with the right spirit and in truth, then we're not doing it correctly. And because of that, it's important to understand that if it's possible to worship God incorrectly, then there has to be a biblical form of worship that God does accept and that is pleasing to him and an earthly form that he rejects. And you see this in the very beginning. That also means that because of false worship, listen carefully, 
because of false worship, associated with false worship is false salvation. You have to get this in your heart early on. That goes along with it. Listen carefully. The Bible holds us accountable to know the difference between right worship and false worship. It holds us accountable to know the difference between real salvation, true salvation, and a form of godliness. So keep that in your heart right now. You cannot get salvation out of false religion. You cannot get salvation out of false worship. And in this story, God is requiring that he would be worshiped. Now here's the problem. When God has made this emphatically clear that he is to be worshiped, Cain has decided, well, if you're going to be worshiped, God, then I'm going to worship you on my terms. Now, when you think about this, maybe the story starts beginning to make a little sense because you see Cain is a farmer. And so he decides to worship God, yes, but he convinces himself that I can do it my way. I do not have to do it your way, God. I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to do it my way. And so as a farmer, he brings God the best of his crops for an offering to worship. Now, Abel is a shepherd, and so he brings God a lamb to worship. Now, the difference in the two offerings is as far as the east is from the west. Go back again with me, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Let me say something else here pertaining to the differences in worship. And there are many differences. Likewise, there are many differences in religions as well. This is important. But the world today doesn't want you to think that way because the political correctness of this world would have you to believe something like this. Well, you just believe this or you just believe that and I'll believe that. And by the way, I'm glad that we have the freedom to do that. I'm glad that we live in a country where we still have the freedom of worship. I can worship God the way that I feel this Bible, the Holy Spirit would lead me to. Somebody else has the freedom to bow down to a rock or to a tree or to call out upon a mountain. We live in a country today where that freedom still fragmentally is held together. Now, I want you to think about this, but the world wants the masses of humanity to believe that one way is just as good as another way as long as you're doing it. That's not true. There's only one way to worship God, and that's God's way. And God has made his way very clear in the word. And I realize that I have repeatedly mentioned this from time to time, but let me do it once more again today. No matter what the world thinks, listen carefully. 
And listen and hear me out today. Jesus is not the best way to heaven. He's not the good way to heaven. He's not another way to heaven. He's not one of many ways to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. And you cannot get to heaven any other way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Well, preacher, are you saying that no one can be saved without Jesus? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because the word says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. Look at this. None other name. Now, I'm glad we live in a land today where people can call out to Buddha. He will not answer. I'm glad today that people will call out to Muhammad, but he will not answer. I'm glad today we live in a land where people can call out and cry out to anything they want to call out and cry out to, because that also gives me the right to call out to Jehovah God. Listen, the word says this, there's neither salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven. It doesn't matter who it is, what religion it is. The word says given among men whereby we must be saved. You cannot be saved in the name of Buddha. You cannot be saved in the name of Muhammad. You cannot be saved in the name of Confucius. You cannot be saved in the name of Hare Krishna. You cannot be saved in any other name. The word of God says only the name of Jesus. And so as Cain brings God the fruit of the ground, Cain was going to worship God his way, not God's way. And as he brings God the fruit of the ground, we have to remember that God, listen, what's, what's wrong with this? Cain, being a farmer, is bringing God the fruit of the ground. But what most people don't realize is that right before this event took place, God had just placed a curse on the ground. Are you with me? This is going to take a little time for you to get it, but I hope that you'll stick with me. God had placed a curse on the ground. Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Look at this. God, he said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. So here's what's happening. Cain, he works very hard on his farm. He works very hard in his garden. And so now he wants to worship God, and so he brings to God a cartload of award-winning vegetables. Maybe these vegetables could have won a blue ribbon in the county fair. They were beautiful. They were magnificent. But God would not accept it. God rejected it. And by the way, that was Cain's own fault. He should have remembered the lessons that his father and his mother had taught him and his brother. Because when Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, the Bible says they covered themselves with fig leaves. You know that part of the story. But the truth of the matter is this. God rejected those fig leaves. Here is when God himself taught the importance of the blood. Because Adam and Eve had sinned and disobeyed his holy word, God took a little innocent lamb, a little innocent animal, and shed its blood to make coats of coverings. He killed it, he shed its blood to take the place of the fig leaves. 
And in Genesis 3.21, the word says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. He had rejected the fig leaves. Now, number three, in the very beginning, God said the only way we could come to him correctly was by the blood. And so listen, through this entire ordeal, God was teaching the very first family in the opening chapters of the Bible that the only way that a person could come to God correctly was through the blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says this, and almost in all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. I wonder how many times did Adam and Eve sit down at the table with their two boys, Cain and Abel, and went over this lesson, taught them the lesson of their failure in the garden. How many times did Adam and Eve teach Cain and Abel this story about how God rejected the fig leaves and how God required the blood of that little innocent animal. Cain should have very well known that you couldn't get blood out of a turnip. Cain's basket of vegetables, listen now, represented salvation by works. He was looking at the wonderful works that he had done with all the labor that he had put into the ground and raised his crops. And let me say, this is one of the false sense of worship all over the world today. Predominantly in the Mormon church and in the Jehovah's Witness too, by the way, who believe that you cannot get to heaven without works. People believe that they can approach God on the basis of their own merits and be accepted into his holy family because of the achievements that they have been able to accomplish by their own hands. But Titus chapter 3 verse number 5 says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so here it is today, stay with me. Out of all the religions that are in the world today, and there are many, there are really only two that can be officially recognized the true one and the false one. As Cain represents a person trying to come to God to be saved by his own good works, we can also see that he's trying to be accepted by what he is doing for God or what he has done for God. But listen carefully, carefully, listen now. Salvation is not about what we can do for God. Salvation is about what God has done for us through his son on the cross. You see, if a person can be saved by what they can do for themselves, then the cross of Calvary was in vain. The crown of thorns, the nails, the Roman spear, the beatings that Jesus took, all of that was in vain. When people tell you that they're trying to find a religion that suits them, you need to tell them that they need to find one that suits God and the one that he accepts. In fact, Jude verse 11, only one chapter in that little book tucked away towards the end of the Bible, but this is what Jude 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward and perished 
in the gainsaying of Kor. The way of Cain, according to the word of God, was self-righteousness. And you have to listen to this. Now I want us to look at Abel's offering and Abel's approach to God because it was quite different than his brother's. God had clearly accepted his. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the word says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead yet speaketh. All right, I want you to notice the word faith. Notice those words. Now, where did Abel get his faith? In Romans 10, 17, the word of God says this, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, God had to make the importance of, of blood. You, you can't miss this point. God had to make the importance of blood known to Abel before Abel could accept it. He had to make it known here before Abel could have known it here. God didn't just come up with an idea about the blood and strut around the throne of heaven and saying, well, I hope somebody gets it. That's not what he did. He made this thing known way back in the garden with his mother and father, Adam and Eve, God had made this important thing known about the blood before Abel could believe it. He made it known to his father. He made it known to his mother. And now it was being made known to him. So listen carefully. The blood was not an idea that God thought about in the days of the New Testament. And it didn't take God 4,000 years to come up with that idea in the Old Testament either. Revelation 13, 8 says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So number four, stay with me quickly. From the very beginning of these scriptures until its closing chapters, you're going to see the importance of the blood of Jesus. The blood is the only way that we can be accepted by God. The only way. The blood is the crimson river that flows through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It started according to the word from the foundation of the world. It was necessary for Adam and Eve. It was accepted by God for Abel. And then notice this. It goes on and on and on. It didn't stop with Adam and Eve. It did not stop with Abel. You move on a little farther in the pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 20. I want you to see this because Noah knew it as well as Abel knew it as well as Adam and Eve knew it. The first thing Noah did when he got off of the ark was to offer a blood offering, a blood sacrifice in Genesis 8, 20. And Noah built it an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. You see, the importance of the blood continues on, but it didn't stop with Noah. When God told Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, God provided the ram caught in the thicket, that blood to be used for the sacrifice on the altar. But it didn't stop there. Way back in Egypt on the night of the Passover, God had required the children of Israel to take a lamb, to slay the lamb, 
and to apply the blood of the lamb onto lentils and onto the doorpost of the house. God told them he was going to send the death angel through Egypt, through the land. And God said, in this process, I'm going to be looking for the blood. And he said this, if I do not see the blood on the doorpost, then I'm going to kill every firstborn in every family. God said, when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. Now listen carefully. If those people had set a basket of vegetables, Cain brought the vegetables to God. If these children of Israel, listening to God and knowing how to approach God correctly, what would uh, appreciate God's favor onto them? They knew all of these things. Now, if they had all got together and said, now I want you to go get your best crops, get your biggest sweet potatoes, the biggest things that you ever have, put them in a basket. And if the children of Israel had gathered all their baskets of vegetables and set them by the door, when God said that the death angel was going to come through, every person, the firstborn, they would have had family members to die. If the children of Israel had aligned the doorposts with the best silver and the best gold, then they would have had family members that would have died. If they had, okay, God says now we got to have a lamb involved in this, a lamb without blemish. So if they had a, put a rope around a lamb's neck and led it to their doorpost, and if they had tied that rope around the doorknob, they would have had family members that would have died. Are you with me? The early importance of the blood was pointing men and women to the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after hundreds of years of the day atonement, where thousands upon thousands of spotless, precious lambs without blemish were offered up. Listen now, finally came the day when John the Baptist would step out onto the banks of the river Jordan and lift up his voice and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God was showing in the Old Testament that sin means death. In Romans 3.23, most of you are familiar with this scripture, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God made it crystal clear, listen carefully, in the beginning that a worship with works was not acceptable. If the blood was the only thing that would satisfy God, then we have to understand that the blood is the difference between heaven and hell. You have to remember this. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25 with me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth. Look at this. I want you to underline the strange words. Most of you are not familiar with this word propitiation. I want you to underline that. Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, we're very familiar with verse number 23, but I want you to look at the importance of verse 25, being justified. That means being made right with God. Look at this, freely by his grace. That means without earning it. Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that means he's the only way. But look at verse 25, and here's this strange word. 
whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of good or of God. So look at this now. What does the word propitiation mean? It means satisfaction. If you write down that word satisfaction beside this word, then we read it this way. Whom God had set forth to be a satisfaction through his blood. And you see, the thing that met God's satisfaction was his only begotten son. The blood that he shed upon the old rugged cross upon Calvary's hill. You see, God could not let one single ounce of sin go unpunished. If God did that, he would cease to be a holy God. If God chose to forgive us without the cross, then he would only be a justifier and he would not be just. Because the cross and the blood, listen now, God can be both. He can be both justifier and he can be just. Stay with me. I want our musicians to come forward. Listen to this. Eternity has two roads. We've already read one in the book of Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of course. So there's a road to hell. But then there's a road to heaven. We've already mentioned that verse. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. What God in his word wants us to know from the very beginning is that there is no acceptance of God whatsoever without the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Every single member of Adam's family knew that. Cain chose another way. And I will say this, if you are depending on another way to get you to heaven, I assure you this morning, there is no other way. If you're saying, well, I am a good person, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't rob, I'm not a thug, I don't sell dope, I don't do this, I don't do that. Listen, if you're saying all of that, well, you know what? God bless you. You're a pretty good person. But none of that put together will set your toe on the street of gold. You have to know Jesus. You have to come, as Chelsea sings many times, by the way of the cross. You have to come through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will accept that. When he sees the blood, God will accept you. And it's the only means, it's the only term, it's the only way he will receive you. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.